Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there's Steve. Hey! And today we are talking Iron Sworn, the role-playing game uh, by Sean Tompkin. Uh, it is available for free uh, on DriveThruRPG and on the Iron Sworn website. Now this is a low fantasy role-playing game, but uh, what its real claim to fame is, is that it's structured so that solo and cooperative play are heavily focused as opposed to the traditional bunch of people around with a game master. Uh, game masterless and solo play kind of took an uptick in the current time of Troubles. Troubles? <laughs> Whatever troubles could you be talking about? Oh. Were those I, the troubles where we all had to leave the old lands and go to the new lands and all swear on the most sacred of iron? Well. To, to wipe our own butts? Wow. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So, yeah, as, as the... We're not going to look at it as the tradition in the traditional role playing game sense. I mean, there are so it's a cornucopia of role playing games in both style and genre, and really, it's kind of pick pick your own adventure, <laughs> whatever you and your group like, go for it that way. But uh, we're going to kind of focus right. on Iron Sworn. And the concept of solo and cooperative role-playing. Right. Give us a little background or uh, synopsis of what Iron Sworn is all about there, Steve. I just did with the whole butt-wiping thing. So, Iron Sworn is this system of uh, solo, like you said, or cooperative, GM-less, for the most part, role-playing. Where all your actions that you can possibly do are boiled down to uh, these things called moves. And you enact a move, and the outcome of that move pushes forward the story, whether that be a, a, a battle or a trudge across um, the landscape or trying to negotiate, um, you know, trading with a, with a settlement. Right. Everything is covered by these moves. So um, you don't get skill rolls or combat rolls or anything like that. Uh, you get your moves. Right. Right. And you roll against uh, the the roll mechanic is rather interesting. I kind of like this. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you roll a D6, add relevant stats and modifiers and you compare that against a 2d10 roll. Uh, if your d6 roll with your additions are greater than the individual d10 rolls, then that's a hit. And you can have what they call a strong hit, which is your d6 is greater than both the d10s. Or you can have a partial success, which is one. Or you can fail which is a miss completely. Right. And there are some things with doubles and stuff like that, but and you, there, right. There's consequences to how well 
or how poorly you um, you are successful right in in these different moves right exactly uh, the, it defaults to a setting that is more or less Skyrim uh, right it's quasi uh, Viking Norseman kind of feel to it in a uh, in a very grim world full of ice. Right, ice and rock and, you know, small villages. It could just as easily also be kind of Scotland. That whole Iron Age uh, northern area there, Scotland, actually, Norway. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of funny you bring that up. Because when I was reading through it, um, the thing that came to my mind above everything else was... This little poem, hold on, <clears throat> that you may be. F- I remember the dark woods masking slopes of somber hills, the gray clouds leaden everlasting arch, the dusky streams that flowed without a sound, and the lone winds that whispered down the passes, vista on vista marching, hills on hills, slope beyond slope, each dark with sullen trees, our gaunt land lay. So when a man climbed up, a rugged peak and gazed his shaded eye, saw but the endless vista, hill on hill, slope beyond slope, each hooded like its brothers. And that goes on for a while. That would be Sumeria. Robert <laughs> E. Howard. Ah, I, I, I kind of figured that would have been Robert E. Howard. Just Yeah, so that is, well, Sumeria, the poem, um, apparently, and, and, it came as a surprise to me when I found this out. It actually describes the area in Texas where he's from. Wow. <laughs> so, Al- Although, you know, it does, well, I mean, Conan the Barbarian is Texan. Right. So while you write what you know. Uh, so the Iron Lands could very well be in uh, White Plant, in Central Texas. White, was it White um, Cross Plains? There we go. Cross Plains, Texas. I don't know. It seems to me like where you like to go camping. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. It could be the White Mountains as well. Um, any, any like bleakish mountainous uh, area. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it does remind me a lot of the um, in Skyrim, the area around the Mage School. Yeah. When you have the fjord, yeah, you have the fjords and the um, the ice choked sea mm-hmm. dotted with islands. Real rugged and mountainous terrain up in that area. Yeah, but well. pretty gray. The occasional ruin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Iron Lands as a setting is that kind. Of, you know, it is evocative of of these sorts of uh, you know, Skyrim and uh, you know, as as you put it, Samaria. And, and also, you know, kind of, you know, the uh, Misty Mountains kind of thing. You know, if if you've read any kind of fantasy or sword and sorcery or, or played any type of fantasy games, you've pretty much got a good handle on what this settlement's like. There are no cities. It's a bunch of towns, you know. Right. Even, even like... like it- Almost like settlements, more than towns. Yeah. 
the history is for some reason, and it, it, it all depends on the player, uh, people had to leave the old lands and settle in these mysterious iron lands, which are mm. somehow cut off from everything else. And in doing so, they ended up displacing the native population, the elves, trolls, and giants and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, it's got that uh, old world, like Northern European kind of um, mythology going for it as well. Mm-hmm. And definitely, you can hear Led Zeppelin in the background. Right, right. With a few notes that appeal more to more modern sensibilities. Right. But you know the setting. The the setting is great, I think. Um, but really, is the the star of the game is not really the setting, because it's kind of it's just generic enough to say, okay, here you are. This is the world you're in. Now use the engine to adventure. Right. And is and, and- oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, with a little bit of elbow grease, you could substitute almost any setting mm-hmm. uh, for this because the, the the mechanic is generic enough, right? Um, where uh, it even as so far as like the weapons that you carry are flavored, does not matter, right? Um, so you could have, oh Jesus Christ, laser guns instead of swords, mm-hmm. right? It's true, and and there you, now you have a gamma world kind of setting, and you don't even really have to change much of the um, of the backstory because you're still in a weird land. Um, instead of elves and trolls, you have uh, hoppers and mutants and, and yeah, all that great stuff. Or you could be on a small cargo vessel in a backwater area of space. I mean. You're right. The mechanic is generic enough that you could really, if you're creative, you can tinker a little bit. And really, they try to do fiction over mechanics. So, and that's where where a lot of the um, the bulk of the reading is our prompts mm-hmm. for, for different for different, um, I guess, just backdrop situations, right? Why are you there? Um, you know, they, they give you like in their description of of let's say elves. They give you a little bit of you know cursory information of elves, and then um, role playing prompts, mm-hmm. and and that's where a lot of the the I guess the value of of the of the um, setting comes into play because everything is geared towards this this um, iron sworn setting. Right. Yes, and you know, there's also the the catalyst of the action is character vows. Uh, basically, you're setting up long and short term goals, and that's how you track advancement is completing these vows. Right, and, and there is an end game in sight. So the more the more things that you do, the more bonds that you make, the more um, vows that you complete. Uh, the closer you are to giving yourself an ending, whether it's happy um, or not, depends on how you played your sessions. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's unlike a lot of games out there, 
this does have an ending in mind, uh, much yes. like uh, old D and D, where you got to a certain level, you were expected to uh, build a castle and then move on to play chainmail as the uh, lead, <laughs> leader of your own army. Uh, but well, then, uh, you were, then you were by the expert set, and then the the. Um, Master legendary set. companions and then immortals and then yeah you get into some really crazy high level hijinks but the general idea was is you were supposed to get to a certain point and then that character kind of retires and then you start right. back over and mm-hmm. iron sworn keeps that same kind of uh that idea going on where you have these goals in your life and you play through the game to meet these goals, whether it's, you know, carve out a kingdom of your own or get rich or die trying, whatever your character motivation happens to be, that is your main vow. And that is what you're working toward completing throughout your session. It could take five sessions. It could take 500 sessions. It doesn't really matter. Right. It's uh, it's basically the next step up from a game that you can play in your head when you're alone. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, so let's talk about the cooperative experience here. Sure. And, you know, on Twitter, you know, gaming Twitter pops up a lot on my feed and stuff like that. Just, you know. Because of what we do, primarily, and the holy algorithm says so. Uh, and with the pandemic and quarantines, a lot of people have been you know, trying to figure out ways to uh, play games by themselves. But also, there's been kind of a, a push in the, in the game among certain people in the gaming community to go with GMless playing. That way, you know, everybody can have fun playing a character. Rather than one person you know, being the master of ceremonies sort of thing. And in Ironsworn, it's not so much GMless as it is cooperative GMing. Whereas the role of the game master moves depending on whose turn it is. And it's really just kind of an adjudication of the rule set. Right. However, for this to work out well... Everyone that's playing has to have a good grasp of the Iron Sworn rules. Otherwise, one person is going to be the de facto game master because they are teaching the game to everyone else. Yes. Um, and, and there's always going to be a hierarchy of... of a, I don't want to say hierarchy of imagination, but um, some people are more vocal at the table than others. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. So people just, you know, they go with the flow and they're happy when, you know, it's their turn. They say, I, I, uh, shoot at the floor. Right. Right. It, it, Iron Sworn as a game and particularly in cooperative play really does kind of hone in with almost a laser focus on a certain play style. And that is the person who likes to narrate their actions in some detail um rather than i attack the troll and that's their turn you know 
I run up the side of the wall, do a double backflip, and spin kick the guy. <clears throat> hey, that's my signature move, man. I know that's your signature move. That's why I <laughs> used it as the example. Uh, so, yeah, the, the folks who are really into, you know, the most basic form of gameplay uh, are, are there. I don't think they're going to get much out of it, really. No, because it, it, it is story driven. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the problem with having a, a uh, GMless game or even a solo game that is story driven is you actually have to fill in details for the story. Right. So if, if your idea of a good time is uh, my swipe at it with my sword, uh, oh, I hit it. Uh, six damage, right? Mm-hmm. Not so much. But if your idea of of a good a good session is I duck under its um, I duck under its thrust um, and use the butt end of my sword to to um, knock knock his arm out of the way and then sweep his legs out from under him to put him at my mercy. If that's your idea of a, of a, you know, a good session, that's what this is geared toward really. Right. Yeah. It's, it's also geared toward the type of player who creates, you know, eight page backstories for their character or individual, like, you know, their journal, you know, they're, Journal of whatever character, you know, today we traveled across the Northlands. Uh, the elf well, caught a rabbit for dinner, you know, things, things like that. That's essential yeah. for this game uh, and for, for solo games in general, um, because usually it's the GM who keeps the notes, right? Right. Uh, so that when you go back to, um, Regina, you know the names of the characters that you you uh, played with before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone really should be keeping track of that, but it's really the GM's job. Well, in a GMless game, guess what? That's everybody's job, right? And in a game where uh, your personal bonds are part of the game, you have to keep track of these people and what your relationship to them exactly is. Right. Um, and, and that, with the exception of the um, choose-your-own-adventure type solo games, uh, that's how you have to do it. That's, you know, I've looked at a number of these games. Um, there's, like, the Living Vampire one, right? The Thousand-Year-Old Vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a journaling game. Uh, there's this. There is the cut up solo kind of thing. That's journaling. Even the one I sent you, the uh, solo for Cepheus Engine. Right. Uh, it involves journaling, and you really have to just keep notes of everything and and how it works out. So you you have really two parts to it. You have uh, the game going on in your head, right? Mm-hmm. The the quote unquote role playing. And how you interpret the, the oracles and the die rolls and all of that. And then you have your record of it. Right. With whatever so, embellishments that entails. Right. Or, or you know, even if it's just like a summary. But you, you got you got to keep a record of it. 
Right, right. Now you meant you called it a journaling game, and that kind of puts things into a different perspective for me as far as understanding solo art role playing. Um, because really, as I was reading through and trying to conceive of solo role playing, uh, I'm just thinking to myself, well, why wouldn't I just write a story? But then again, right. that's kind of what I do. <laughs> Right. Well, and and I think there's there's the difference is going to be that random factor, mm-hmm. right? So in, in a story that you're writing, whatever you want to happen happens, right? Yes, that that's just how it works. <laughs> the difference is here: what you want to happen may not happen because there's some random factor. Mm-hmm. Um, in in this case, it's the moves. Or, or an oracle. Um, so, so there has to be some sort of consequence. And, and a lot of these are geared towards you're still going to move toward your goal, but it's going to be more difficult to get there. Right. 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 Uh, which might make for something more interesting than, you know, what you would just generally write. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I understand what you're saying. And as I was thinking about it uh, while we were, we were reading through it. Um, I did think it was kind of a neat idea to try to use a system like this to create a kind of procedurally generated short story. Meaning, you know, I'm not sitting here planning everything out. It comes to a certain thing and it could end on page two because the character dies because of this random element or something like that. Now, speaking of procedurally generated elements, um, you've mentioned it a few times, but we haven't talked about it yet, and that is the Oracle. Right. So just uh, tell everybody a little bit what the Oracle is. So the, the Oracle is just a method of um, choosing between options, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that you mentioned using an Oracle to write a story, because that's how um, The Man in the High Castle was, was written. That's right. He used the I Ching. Phil K. Dick used the I Ching to um, make choices in his story. Uh, so it's kind of the same thing. So you get to a point where you know you have more than one outcome, a yes/no kind of situation. In this particular game, you um, you figure out which is more likely to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Then you roll the dice. Um, and depending on the the result, you get yes or no, or A or B. Right. Well, the yes or no kind of oracle also kind of has those magic eight ball choices, too. Yes. <laughs> you're, the, when you're talking about the likelihood of something happening. Sure. But but the oracle is also there for that, uh, those, and, and we've all experienced it, the question the GM is never prepared for, you know, is there a the city of fuck? Right. What's the name of the town? What's the name of this random NPC that's uh, that I'm buying, you know, horseradishes from today? What is, you know, is there, you know, curtains near the brazier? Yeah, yeah that that there is a random, um, I guess name generator mm-hmm. involved. I don't know how much of an oracle that is. That's just a handy chart. Right. That's the equivalent of, of 
going on to the um, you know the Edo period fantasy name generator mm-hmm. pushing the button right <laughs> right now it must be said that the oracle uh, for GMless play in Iron Sworn is not meant to be a GM emulator. No. So the the main use for it is when something happens, like you, you make a move and you fail, and it says face the consequences or pay the price. It's pay the price. Mm-hmm. And that price isn't quite obvious to you. Right. right? That's when you use the Oracle. And that it's it's there to generate conflict more or less for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's other ways you can use it, but that seems to be the way you would use it the most, especially if like you've gotten yourself into a situation and something bad happens and you don't want that something bad happen to be like something predictable from you. It's just trying to add a layer of randomness to get you out of, of your own head. Mm-hmm. And also to kind of keep you honest, because let's face it. Well, yeah, yeah. That you know, if you're playing by yourself, you know, Conan from Samaria is going to win every fight, woo every woman. <laughs> yeah, of course. That, that, well, that's what I, that's what I mean. Um, keep you honest is a better way of putting it. <laughs> but, yeah, to, to make it more exciting. I mean, nobody likes it when only good things happen. Right. Right. It, it acts, it, it doesn't act as a GM per se, but it does function somewhat as a GM because the GM's the, the, the person who puts the monkey wrench in your plans. Right. Right. The GM's the equalizer. The, the GM throws like, um, throws the conflict out there for you. Mm-hmm. And this, is like a uh, random conflict generator, I guess. Yes. I like that. I like that idea. The random conflict generator. Now, while we're talking about the Oracle and GM emulation, there is another system that gets thrown around a lot when uh, Iron Sworn is brought up. And pretty much any time a solo or co-op RPG is mentioned or somebody mentions GMless. Uh, RPGs. Iron Sworn is one of the first ones that pops up in, in conversation. The second one is a game called Mythic, which I haven't really gotten a chance to take a look at yet and maybe we'll do that in a later episode. But Mythic actually includes a GM emulator proper uh, that they ended up releasing that part of the book as a separate piece of material. That you can just get the GM emulator to add to whatever system you're playing. So theoretically, you could probably play Iron Sworn with the Mythic GM emulator as well as the Oracle. Now, with all of that said, uh, let's talk about where Iron Sworn is weak. And I think it's in the mechanic itself. It is very board gamey yeah it, it kind of reminds me of um um like like magic the gathering or or not even magic the gathering but like a computer game that uses um a card emulator mm-hmm. like um wizard 101 right 
Right, where all your uh, actions are like card based and it's hand building sort of thing. Right. Kind of, just because you have these limited number of moves that are supposed to represent everything that you can do. And and you know, they, they may very well. You can probably shoehorn any action that you have somehow into one of these moves. Right. Right. Um and there's a lot of moves. Yes, uh six pages worth in the uh supplemental material. Right. So uh, keeping that in mind, it seems that you might spend a lot of time trying to figure out, to translate what you want to do into a workable move. Right. Right. And I think that interrupts the flow uh, of storytelling, really, because, you know, storytelling should be not quick, but um, it should flow. Right. Right. It shouldn't be interrupted by, um, I guess this would be the equivalent of, of uh, getting out the thesaurus. Right, getting out the thesaurus, or or this is where the, the GM actually comes into play, is they are the person who's supposed to make a ruling and saying, well, you want to do this, that is going to be this action. And it might actually work, the mechanic might actually work better with one person actually functioning as the GM and adjudicating what action or what move for what you want to do. Right. Even though they don't have to do any rolling, which is really easy because all the GM has to do is kind of the the paperwork of flipping through the rules well, while you're describing well, what's going on. Oh, yeah, but if you're going to have a, somebody doing that, they might as well figure out what the consequences are going to be for failed actions or even for successful ones. Yeah, true. True. A really lazy dungeon master. (laughs) (laughs) So um, there are other games that have similar styles for, um, for resolving actions. Uh, Powered by the apocalypse comes to mind uh, where each character type has a, set of moves that they can do mm-hmm. um, and that's what they're good at um, the current edition of L5R has has a similar thing where you try and pigeon it's it's similar you try and pigeonhole what you want to do into one of the elements right and and that affects on uh, a number of things so you might have um Going about a task using uh, the element of fire um, might be less effective than earth. Right, right. It's just it's similar because it's it's you you have to think through your action and how it translates into something mechanical. Right. That particular yeah, mechanic in L five R is really kind of almost almost philosophical in a way. And how you interpret, okay, this is the this is the ring that I'm going to use to do this particular action. And another character might do the exact same action and use a different ring. Right. But, well, I think with that is you're supposed to describe how you're doing something. Right. And then the, and the referee uh, decides what ring that entails. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of similar. You're supposed to describe what you want to do and then figure out what move that, best that best applies to that action. Yes, 
exactly. That, that's where I'm coming from with that mm-hmm. comparison. It, it, instead of like, I want to um, climb the cliff. Okay, what's your climb skill? Uh, it's sheer, so you're going to, you know, it's going to be more difficult. So you right. have to make it, make it hard. Oh, but I have rope. Okay, well, you get a, a bonus die. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That that is that's boom, boom, boom. Easy, transparent. You just say what you want to do. Figure out a skill that you that you're doing with doing it with. Usually, it's like in the name of the action that you're you're describing, and you're there. You go right. next. <laughs> right, right. So in the, in this particular situation, it's uh, you know, it's a sheer cliff. Okay, well, that's going to be a face danger move. To get things right. rolling, and like, okay, I have a rope, so that's going to give me a bonus because of my equipment. Uh, I'm going to use my iron stat because that's my physical strength. And, you know, I really kind of envisioned this character as being kind of a mountaineering type of guy. So that should give me a bonus, too. <laughs> but it doesn't. But it doesn't. <laughs> Right, which is which is where which is where uh, engines that use skill mechanics come into come into better play because you're able to more customization of the character as far as the mechanical part of what you can do and what you can't do. Right. Uh, the other thing that makes this feel a little bit board gamey to me is that character sheet with all the different tracks on it. And, you know, there's no hit points like most RPGs. It's it's a health meter, and it goes up and down depending on circumstances and gives you bonuses, uh, you know, depending on how healthy you are. There's a spirit uh, track for your mental acumen. Uh, there's momentum and supply. And these are bookkeeping elements that also kind of uh, break the flow of a narrative because you have to go okay well let's see uh this move i failed this action so this goes down this goes down to here but then this has happened so this actually goes up and and you're constantly like adjusting where things are on these tracks um and yeah i think it kind of it kind of breaks the immersion uh without all of the little odds and ends if you're just like boom 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 you know this is my action these are my bonuses this is the result that kind of works well to to keep the immersion going but actually having to do the bookkeeping aspect kind of breaks the immersion yeah it gets a little fiddly unless you're playing traveler where bookkeeping is like one third of the game itself (laughs) which is funny because the traveler um, solo Cepheus um, engine there uh, is a lot less complicated. <laughs> I never thought I'd say any, say that about anything Traveler. Right. Um, in, in that, you know, you basically figure out what your task is. I want to steal this spaceship. And you've come up with a plan for how would we steal this spaceship, right? Right. And then uh, you take into account your party's skills. Um, is it dangerous? How hard is it going to be? Um, and and you make a roll. And if you succeed, you stole the spaceship. And then you back up 
and and figure out what the details were from there. Um, So that could be like a full game session like you would normally role play out Mm -hmm. in one die roll, but then you like try and figure it out. Right. One die roll to do what takes us uh, six hours. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's it's like the opposite of an anime fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're kind of like bringing in topics from various assorted systems. Uh, where did you come across the, the Cepheus solo? Cause I know you uh, sent me a copy and I didn't get a chance to do too much. With I, it. I've had that. I've been sitting on that for a while mm-hmm. um, for a number of years. It's, it's fairly old. Right. Um, so I couldn't tell you, I probably um, read about it. And decided no one's fucking playing Traveler with me. I'll fucking do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play with myself. <laughs> I'll, I'll get my own subsector. Blackjack. Hookers. That, yes. That's probably how that, how that panned out. Um, but to me, a lot of... I, I've done a bit of, like, not research, but reading... Uh, on a couple of these systems just for solo gaming and none of them really are very satisfactory. They all have good points. They all have uh, shortcomings Mm -hmm. Um, and and mainly they fall into two broad categories. You have stuff like this, which is like journaling and uh, you're coming up with a story to fit the mechanics. Right. Right. Um, And then there's like a choose your own adventure kind of thing, which is, um, kind of the stuff like Alone Against the Dark, Alone Against the Frost, like that. Call of Cthulhu has done it, Alone Against the Flames, mm-hmm. um, where you have a book that is a that is numbered, right? Numbered sections. Choose your own adventure, right? And you use the 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 uh, rules of the game um, to resolve conflicts, and it gives you okay. Did you succeed in your sanity roll, or did you fail in your sanity? you succeed go here if you fail go here right so it is a lot less imaginative on your part it's more i guess dm heavy mm-hmm. um and less role play but you are working through a, a story that you have no control over um which is you know the other extreme right right and there's different outcomes and everything, but it's all pre-programmed, right? Yeah, yeah. The choose like alone against the dark; those types of games are, yeah, definitely have three or four endings in mind. But there's there's a lot of different endings, right? Most which of which is cool because you can play it more than once. And yeah, and most of them are, are you died, die, death, and madness. That's your two options when playing Call of Cthulhu solo. But I'll tell you, I've played a number of those, mm-hmm. and I've had a. It's been fun every time. Right. <laughs> Say what you right. want. It, it's been fun. It's it's easy. You can just pick it up and do it. Um, you know, all you need, you you know, you fill out a character sheet. Usually, they give you a character, and you like pick out some like I don't know, a hundred points worth of skills or whatever to add on to what they already had. Right, um, and some some of them are you could like just pick it up and go and just start 
reading and rolling. Uh, some of them you have to do a little bit of bookkeeping. You have to, um, you know, keep track of time and dates because you're on a on a clock kind of thing. Uh, but I, I've played the current, all the current ones. I've played at least twice each. I haven't been very successful in many of them, um, but I've always had fun. Whereas I'm looking at this stuff and I'm thinking like, wow, it might be just a little bit too much work. I'd rather just read a book. Right, right. And I think you're right. I think it is kind of complex and overwhelming to try to do this by yourself. Um, if you have a group um, or, you know, like a, you and your son play games together. You know, my family and I play games together. Uh, in addition to, you know, us playing games with each other on, on the podcast. Uh, and yeah, that works out well for, for that sort of thing where you have a group, but for, with as many moving parts as Iron Sworn has, uh, yeah, I don't see it as the ideal, um, answer to, uh, playing solo, uh, there is, there's also um, solo rules for icons, if you want to do some superhero action. There are fate solo rules yes, as well. I'm, I don't know how similar those are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't looked at it. I, I have a copy of the fate solo PDF, but I haven't looked at it. Right, right. I haven't, I've seen an example of play. And it it's basically it it like any other solo game. It's journaling. It's it's another way to get yourself into not only the practice of journaling, but you know creative thinking. Just getting out there and getting creative without you know, oh I'm writing great literature or I'm trying to make a masterwork of art. It's just something where you can sit down and grab your pencil and some dice and go. And I really don't think Iron Sworn fosters the grab your pencil and some dice and go as much as... No, it's it's definitely a little bit more complicated than I would want it to be. Mm-hmm. Now, here's an interesting thing that I might consider using it for. Um, I might consider using it to design adventures for other systems. Hear me out. <laughs> okay, no, no. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I kind of had a similar thought, but let's, let's, let's hear your process here. Okay, so we all, as as GMs, as creators, as people, have our own set of things that we tend to uh, gravitate towards when we're doing stuff, when we're creating um, adventures or, or what have you. Um, it just it's just the way people are, right? You get certain themes interest you and certain actions interest you and, and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And there's only so much that you can uh, preconceive. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, you know, you always want to play test stuff to see if they break it, blah, blah, blah. And there's, there's always going to be stuff that um, you never anticipated. And I think, this may be a way of a uh, thinking outside of the box for what your um, idioms are for when you're creating. Mm-hmm. 
what you, the tropes that you use to get away from your common tropes. Uh, and it also might anticipate uh, actions and consequences that you didn't foresee when you were creating this, this scenario. Okay. And so, so almost, almost instead of using it as a GMless system, it's GMing a playerless game. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So kind it's of. it's it's kind of a player emulator. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's I think it would be a good player emulator. Yes, um, solo play testing for your scenario. There you kind go. of see if, if if there's you know. Obviously, nothing's perfect, but I think that might be able to um, help with just the creation of the details of a scenario. There you go. And that's probably, that's thinking outside the box a little bit and probably not as uh, manufacturer intended. <laughs> Which is always the best way to use things. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes. Depends on what it is. Look. I don't know how you would use a toaster outside the box, but paperweight, doorstop, <laughs> uh, budget as a electro functional as a functional toaster, a, a, a briefly timed space heater. <laughs> Come on, you know, get outside the box. There's every, the possibilities are limitless. A, a Devo video emulation kit. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, now, I will say that if you listen to us and you want to check out Iron Sworn, the main rules are free, once again, on RPG and directly from the publisher's website. I'll have both links. Uh, in fact, there is a lot of supplemental material for Iron Sworn that is free. <coughs> If you get it on drive-thru, it's all in your library, and it is lots of stuff. There's character sheets, there's a rules reference that's a that's a page, uh, there's the six-page just list of moves, uh, and pretty much I would say you need all of that on the table in order to play. That way you're not flipping through the, the book right. itself. Oh, um, don't forget the attributes. Yes, we didn't even get into that. Yep. Yep. You got to learn all of that stuff. So once you learn the system, get the assets. assets. Yes. Assets. They're kind of like cards, basically. That's exactly what they are. Companions, special pieces of equipment, uh, special abilities. And you kind of like pass those out and you can download those as well as part of the supplemental material, print them out. And this is just the stuff that you need on the table while you're playing. Uh, yeah. I do think... Oh, there's also... While Iron Sworn is, is free and it's, the base game is free, there is a supplement called Iron Sworn Delve, which adds dungeon crawling into the Iron Sworn mechanic. Uh, so which is weird. <laughs> because I could only think that it's like a 300 page book of new moves uh it there are a lot of new moves and it's really weird way of thinking about dungeon crawling because you're not draw on a grid graph paper grid 
you go 60 feet ahead and it turns left. You know, that sort of thing is not done. It's kind of uh, the room design mechanic where, you know, it's you kind of do it as areas and your progression through the map is is marked off the same way as your progression progression through the overworld as it were mm-hmm. in normal iron sworn uh rather than a structured dungeon of rooms and locked doors and traps and things like this all of this stuff is kind of procedurally generated and it probably you know for your playtest adventures it's probably also an in a, a tool you can use to generate those types of dungeon crawling scenarios where okay here's a series of events okay let me build a map around that you know that right. sort of thing uh but the delve supplement is is paid material we'll have a link to that as well and that does it for iron sworn and the concept of solo and co-op role playing and until next time keep 30 luck points though and they mean nothing in Iron Swarm.